Welcome to Funding Quest, where our quest is to help you find the best funding solutions for your business. I'm your host, Byron Allen, and today we will be speaking with Bennett Brown, CEO of Thunderbird Corporate Finance, an independent financing intermediary. This will be the first of a two-part series on alternative funding. In this episode, Bennett will be walking us through the most common types of financing that companies can use when a bank declines their loan request. I'm excited to have Bennett Brown, the founding managing member of Thunderbird Corporate Finance, with us today. Bennett has a wealth of experience and has has developed, started his company, Thunderbird uh, Corporate Finance, and has been very successful for over 20 years now in helping small to mid-sized businesses get the financing that they need to be successful and to grow their businesses. And, and so I'm very grateful that, Bennett, you've been willing to spend some time with us today in Funding Quest and talking about alternative loans, alternative financing for businesses. And it's a, it, it's a fascinating segment of business financing, really. And uh, so we're, I'm looking forward to it. We've got a lot of things to talk about. So go ahead and if you wouldn't mind though, before we go into that, Bennett, give us, tell us a little bit about your, your background and, and how sure. you got going here. Sure, thank you very much, Byron. I greatly appreciate the opportunity to uh, spend time with you today in talking about alternative lenders, alternative financing for businesses. So I started my business career as a certified financial planner, registered investment advisor, stockbroker here in Arizona. Had a small firm, myself and two partners, and was in that industry for about 16 to 18 years. And uh, I kind of saw the need for businesses, small to mid-sized businesses, you know, typically doing maybe five million to 50 million of revenue and even even smaller amount of revenue, uh, needing help with financing for their company. And so that's what led me into the corporate finance industry. And the way I like to kind of uh, introduce myself when I meet somebody is really, uh, the work I do is really that of an independent financing intermediary. So I'm always hired by the borrower, I'm hired by the operating company. Uh, I don't work for any lenders, I don't work for any bank. I'm always working for the benefit of the business that's hiring me. And uh, that enables me to really be transparent in regards to the best type of financing, best options for that particular business and their industry. And so uh, I like being able to bring that independence to the table to be able to look at a particular company and help that business owner uh, with the best financing that is available for them. Perfect. Excellent. And I will say, as a as a aside here, American Life Financial and American Savings Life Insurance Company have have actually worked with Bennett over over many years now. Uh, with where he has brought uh, situations to us, and so I've had the benefit of working with you personally. And yeah, and I know you to be and vice versa. A, yeah, be a, <laughs> a man of integrity, and and you do a great job for your clients. And so it's an honor to have you with us today. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, well, let's jump into it. I know you've, as we talked before the show, you've got a list of five or six types of alternative financing products, and and if you wouldn't mind 
let's just start with each one and each one share with us describe it what type of companies typically use that maybe what industries uh, what are the pros and cons of that type of financing maybe what qualifications the business owner needs to have for those sure some of those things sure oh absolutely so i would say probably one of the most used uh maybe even you know more popular most used type of financing is what would be called accounts receivable financing so accounts receivable financing is predicated upon a, a business-to-business type of transaction. So manufacturing company, let's say a manufacturing company selling to Honeywell or Boeing or you know, even to a, a government agency. So uh, as you're selling your product to your customers, you're generating a, an invoice. And so that invoice is sent to the customer, and the customer will typically will have 30, 60, 90 days to pay that invoice. But in many cases, business needs that cash much quicker than even 30 days to pay their employees, to pay their suppliers for raw material. And so there is what is known as accounts receivable financing. So in what we're talking about today is really account receivable financing, not at a bank, but there are alternative lenders, commercial finance companies out there that offer account receivable financing to businesses. And so um, the account receivable financing will be predicated upon the, actually it's a, a lot of it is predicated upon who your customer is. Right, So you've generated, you've sold something to your customer. If your customer is a Fortune 500 company, that is a much better receivable and you'll get a better what's known as advance rate borrowing against that receivable uh, because the likelihood of that customer paying their bill on time is much greater if they're a Fortune 500 or Fortune 5000 company. And, and I would say even, you know, government, you know, uh, whether it's the city, state, municipality, federal government. So accounts receivable financing is a form of financing that a lot of manufacturing companies, for example, who produce products that then sell to, you know, another business for an end product. Maybe it's a component of an airplane or maybe it is, uh, you know, a direct piece of equipment that's used. And so you have accounts receivable financing. And so, uh, again, a lot of that is based on who your customers are, what are the terms you give your customer. Uh, And uh, and again, the companies that will use that will be uh, companies who are what we may call business-to-business type of companies. Mm -hmm. Um, Another... May I ask real quick? Go ahead. Do these lenders take into consideration the length of time you've been working with this customer? Like if if they've been paying you regularly for three years, you have this ongoing contract versus it's a new accounts receivable account that you don't have a history with. And assuming that that the customer is not a Fortune 500 or 5,000 company, but... Sure, great question. Yeah, so absolutely if... uh, And let's take, let's go to go out of the manufacturing industry because let's say you're a professional service company and you're providing services 
to other businesses and you're creating invoices to those businesses. Maybe you're an accounting firm or uh, you're a, a consulting firm. Same thing, you're generating invoices to another business and absolutely if you've had a relationship with that business for two years, five years, and even greater, uh, and can show the lender, hey, this company, you know, we've had this contract or relationship for three to five years, they've always paid us on time, never had a dispute in billing or anything like that. And so in that case, you'll probably get a better rate on the cost of the money that you're borrowing. And again, you're typically borrowing against your invoice so that you can pay your employees, your landlord, your you know your day-to-day -day bills. And then uh, typically the structure, Byron, is that when that invoice gets paid, it will automatically be credited against what you borrowed. And so you're borrowing against that invoice. Your customer finally pays that invoice. And there's different structures, different account receivable, financing lenders, they'll, they'll set up a lot of times what's called a lockbox. And so your customer still has your name on the check, and that's the most ideal. Now some lenders require, you know, your name, XYZ Manufacturing, and then they require the lender's name on the check, so it's kind of a dual check. Mm -hmm. Other lenders, you will just have your name on the check, but it's sent to a P.O. box, which is what they call a lockbox. And then the lender controls the lockbox. So the lender then takes that check that came from your customer. Uh, it was made out to you. It came to the lockbox. They take that check. They apply it to your outstanding balance. Let's say they lent you 80 cents on the dollar. And let's say the cost of the uh, transaction, the, the financing, is five cents on the dollar. So they'll keep, in that check that came in, they'll keep 85 cents on the dollar. And then they'll credit you back the other 15 cents on the dollar. Mm -hmm. So you've borrowed 80. Your cost of borrowing that money maybe is 5%. Um, and then, so at the end of the day... You gave up 5%, maybe it's over 60 or 90 days, to then get that money quicker. Mm -hmm. So that's accounts receivable financing. Another type of that financing is what is known as factoring. So factoring is typically more expensive than account receivable financing. And it's where factoring is typically where you have a transaction where the lender is technically buying that invoice from you. So it's a little bit, uh, structurally, it's a little bit different. Uh, financially, it's a little more expensive. And the beauty of factoring is uh, you could take one specific invoice and get cash from that particular invoice, borrow against that particular invoice, versus borrowing from against all of your invoices. Okay. So that's some of the subtleties and nuances there. And I would say there's a couple of industries that within account receivable and factoring that um, there's certain industries where there's kind of a specialized lender in 
account receivable and factoring. And that would typically be in your construction industry and then in healthcare. So construction and healthcare have some lean, lean rights, lean nuances. And, um, and so all lenders who might be alternative lenders may not lend into construction or healthcare. It might take a specialty lender. Hmm. So that's kind of a broad perspective of accounts receivable and factoring. Again, great for manufacturing companies, service companies, uh, employment companies. So if you're providing, you know, temp services to somebody, you know, to a company and the employees are your employees, but you're, you know, leasing them or, you know, putting them on site somewhere else, but you have to pay your employees, you know, and seven or 15 days later, but your customers aren't paying you for 30 days. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of times where you see that type of financing come in. So would you explain again for me and for our listeners or viewers the difference between factoring and accounts receivables? They, they seem to, in my mind, they're kind of very similar, but you were mentioning there's some nuances between where factoring is different. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. So, so yeah, they're, they're very similar. The difference is uh, typically factoring will, number one, cost a little bit more. But what you're doing is you're getting cash, a cash advance against a specific invoice. Let's say you have 20 customers. And, you know, most of your customers pay you, let's say, within 30 days. But some customers... Uh, the contracts that we have with those customers, it may be 90 days before they pay you. Hopefully not longer than 90 days, but let's say it's 90 days. So those customers you may factor because you don't want to wait those 90 days. The other customers pay their bills or your contracts with them are quicker. And so you would use either maybe it's a, it's a line of credit or a, you know account receivable financing for them. Okay. And so, you know, it blends together a lot of times, but there are some companies that just do factoring. There's some companies that just do account receivables financing, some lenders who just do specific areas. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Very helpful. Okay. What's another alternative financing? So, uh, you know, I would say another alternative financing that, uh, that I use with clients a lot is equipment financing. So, you know, you can certainly talk with your bank about equipment financing. Um, and uh, some banks will do equipment financing for their clients and others. Uh, it, it may not be something they look at. Maybe you don't quite qualify uh, at your bank for equipment financing. So there's a lot of independent alternative lenders who specialize in equipment financing. And equipment financing has been around for many, many years. It's used a lot in, uh, of course, manufacturing and transportation. So you think of transportation, and of course you think of the, uh, the long-haul truckers, you think of the trailers, the cabs, and even the big shipping containers. And so it's really a specialized industry in equipment financing. Because sometimes, you know, if you're a transportation company and you're a trucking company, and you have to buy these, maybe it's refrigerated trucks, maybe it's, it's sleeper cabs, uh, and those things obviously are not, 
are not cheap. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could run 150 to 200,000 for you know a Peterbilt uh, cab that will be a long haul cab, and then the the trailer that goes along with that. And so, um, a lot of times, uh, companies will. Uh, use equipment finance companies for that kind of transaction. About two years ago, I worked with a, um, I really wasn't a startup company, but a company that had been around about two to three years. Uh, They didn't have great financials. Uh, So in talking with the banks, they did not get the equipment financing they were looking for. And this was a trucking company. And so I helped them at that point get, I think it was uh, eight tractor trailers. And so the financing was with a equipment financing company. It was on a lease purchase agreement. And um, uh, it was, uh, in this particular case, it was a seven-year lease. And it's some pretty good rates. I mean, it. Um, I, I'm trying to remember the rates back then. I think it was in the seven, seven and a half percent range. But it enabled the company who was not bankable at the time, to grow their business. And at the end of the day, the cost of that capital, seven, seven and a half percent, their gross profit margins were in the 20% range. Mm -hmm. And so after they paid the expense on the equipment, they were still making good net income. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, it's used to grow their business. And so equipment financing, Currently, I'm working with a company uh, in the mining industry, actually. And uh, so, you know, a lot of banks will look at something like mining or even, you know, long haul tractor trailers. And they're like, no, we, you know, uh, if we can't touch it and feel it and know what to do with it, if we have to take it back, we're just not interested. And so a lot of times you'll see companies uh, manufacturing transportation using equipment leasing companies, equipment financing companies. And sometimes, you know, on a very regular basis, uh, they'll buy, you know, CNC machines, for example, for manufacturing companies. I've financed several CNC machines. Um, And CNC machines? CNC machines are, let's say, for airplane parts, and so it cuts the you know, the steel, and so typically it's a fabrication company, a fabrication manufacturer. And, and now they're very automated. I mean, they're computer uh, automated mm-hmm. and for, let's say, airplane parts or ship parts or even automobile parts. So equipment financing, uh, again, is a, an alternative type of financing to where some companies might not be bankable. I think the, the, the benefit in equipment financing, the, uh, the structure a lot of times in equipment financing is where the finance company actually owns the equipment hmm. and you, the operating company who needs the equipment, is just actually leasing it from the owner, let's say for seven years, uh, and then you buy it from them for a dollar or you buy hmm. it for the, from them for... You know, maybe it's a 10% buyout. Maybe it's a $1 buyout. And so tax laws are always changing. Mm -hmm. So there was recent tax law change on equipment financing and how that is recorded on your balance sheet. 
So the other benefit, Byron, on equipment financing is if you're leasing, if it's a lease, it has a separate way that the, the asset and the liability is reported on your balance sheet, which is important a lot of times for companies when they're, uh, like for their bank, there might be uh, certain ratios or covenants that they have to abide by. Sure. And equipment financing is a way to stay under the radar below some of those covenants uh, because you're using the equipment for your business and producing widgets or products and selling them and making money. But technically, you don't own that equipment until it's all paid off, maybe seven years later. So equipment financing a lot of times is used by companies for if they can't afford the equipment or if they don't want it on their balance sheet. So another uh, type of financing that I see a lot, uh, this type of financing has really come about, I would say, over the last eight to ten years, uh, maybe even six to eight years. Uh, And it's really what is referred a lot of times to is uh, recurring revenue financing. So we're in a technology-oriented world these days, right? Software, um, apps on your phone, companies running software, again, you know, the applications on your phone, all kinds of technology. And so the companies that supply that technology, even to us as consumers, whether it's uh, Spotify or iHeartRadio or whether it's, uh, you know, some kind of application on your phone that you're paying $19 a month for, right? Mm-hmm. That becomes a revenue to you know, whoever owns that application, the, the, the creator of that application. And then the, the same thing with uh, software. So software... A software as a service, SaaS, a SaaS model business or a recurring revenue business. You see many more of those types of companies around now than you did, of course, six to eight to even ten years ago. Mm-hmm. It was unheard of, right? right? Right. And so now there's a whole new industry of alternative lending, which is how do I lend to a company that has... 10,000 customers paying them $20 a month. How do I lend to that company? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, and, and what does that company need money for? Uh, you know, they need money for marketing and promotion to go from 10,000 users to 20,000 users, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or to keep their application relevant. Maybe it's a game application, right? So what you saw, I mean, you see this, I mean, there are thousands of games out there, right? that you can do on your phone. Some of them are free, most of them, you know, you're charged one or two dollars a month, right? And, and again, recurring revenue. And so there's lenders out there who specialize in lending money to recurring revenue companies. And, and typically that, the reason for borrowing is again, you know, new versions of my application, increasing my customer base, And then the repayment on that is typically done monthly. So as that new revenue comes in, I'm paying back the loan. Again, it's going to be more expensive than bank financing. But typically, the business owner who created that app in their garage, right, or with their buddy in the dorm room, Mm -hmm. right, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, they can't go to a bank and get $100,000, $200,000, $300,000 loan 
to market their product, right? Because they're a startup company. They're you know, young entrepreneurs and banks, unfortunately, look much more at historical cash flow versus projected opportunity. Mm-hmm. Sure. So a revenue-based financing. Revenue-based financing is typically projection-based. And so I've got a customer base, and there's a word in that industry called sticky. So how sticky, how sticky are your customers to your application? Do they drop it after two or three months? Do they hold on to it for six, eight, 12 months? Uh, That's a critical question for revenue-based lenders. So if you're, you know, young entrepreneur with your application or your software out there, there's a good handful of very successful revenue-based lenders in, you know, out there. A good example of that is a couple of clients that I've worked with actually over the last 12 months, two clients, uh, and you talk about uh, revenue-based income. These were internet service providers in rural communities throughout the United States. So where Cox and, you know, the large companies aren't going mm-hmm. uh, is where these companies provided broadband and internet service, uh, and actually telephone service also. And customers were paying them, you know, 60 to $100 a month. And so again, it's a recurring revenue. It's coming from consumers. It's recurring revenue. They need to borrow money to increase their their network, their footprint, their customer base. It's very hard for a bank to get their arms around those kind of customers and that kind of revenue. It takes a specialty alternative lender. Mm-hmm. So again, revenue-based financing is something that uh, you see more and more of, particularly now with uh, you know a lot of software, a lot of games, a lot of you know contract kind of kind of revenue. Right. Yeah, now that's a huge growth area for sure. Interesting. You know, the other area I wanted to kind of point out and talk a little bit about is uh, a, a type of financing uh, similar to accounts receivable financing and factoring. It's been around for literally hundreds, if not thousands of years. I mean, factoring is probably the oldest alternative financing in the world. And it originated back in Europe particularly in the clothing industry, in the garment industries where factoring kind of uh, originated. And this particular type of financing is, uh, is purchase order financing. So account receivable financing and factoring is predicated on the fact that you have an invoice. So you've shipped something or you've provided a service to a customer and now you're able to bill that customer and that, that then leads to account receivable and and factoring. So then the question is, okay, I've got my customer who I'm making widgets for, but I need my raw material. So I need, if my product to my customer, I'm charging them, let's say I'm charging them $10,000 for my product, a a piece of equipment, or a part to an airplane, or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. So that, I'm charging them $10,000. My cost of goods on that, my raw material, 
is let's say 20%. Let's say my labor is 30%, my cost of goods is 20%. So I gotta get my material, I gotta buy my material. So where do I get the cash? I haven't, I haven't made a sale yet, but I've got a purchase order. I've got Honeywell, Boeing, they wanna buy this, you know, whether it's part of an airplane or a helicopter from me. They're gonna give me a purchase order for 20,000 units that I have to deliver to them in eight weeks. So it takes me, you know, six weeks to build these. I have to deliver them eight weeks, not a problem, but I gotta get my raw material in. So I could take that purchase order from Boeing or Honeywell, whatever it might be, and work with a purchase order finance company. Now, ideally, if I've worked with Boeing and Honeywell before, I've got experience and reputation and a track record of building that product, delivering it to my customer, and they pay me, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But now, I need my raw material. So purchase order financing, uh, and I will caution the listen listeners, it's not cheap, it's expensive, but it's short term. So I need my raw materials, I get my raw materials in, I produce my product, and then typically I will go to account receivable finance. Once I ship my product, I will then use account receivable financing to pay off my purchase order financing. So purchase order financing, more expensive than account receivable financing, more expensive than factoring, but it typically leads to account receivable financing. Okay. So again, purchase order financing has been around for many, many years. And it's a specialty area to where there's, you know, a dozen or two dozen purchase order finance companies throughout the United States. A lot of times, you know, it's in the manufacturing or the garment industry that you would use purchase order financing. You know, the garment industry is a, is a real good example. So, you know, I produce uh, polo shirts, right? And Macy's or Nordstrom's or whomever orders, you know, 100,000 units from me for their stores for, you know, next spring, right? And I have to deliver them. I've got to get the material. And so I'll use purchase order financing for that type of financing. Okay. Again, an alternative. And I will tell, you know, I will mention we're talking alternative financing. You should always knock on the door of your bank. So banks will always be less expensive than alternative financing. But quick plug for my company, my tagline, when you look at my website, is when the bank says no, let us know. So let us know so we can help find an alternative financing company. Mm -hmm. So typically you always go to your bank and talk with them about, hey, this is the financing I need. And when they say, gee, we can't help you with that at this time, that's when you start looking for alternative financing. So Byron, I, I think in, in summing up the, the types of financing, I would mention one that again has come about based on technology, the internet, and you know that whole world that has 
evolving and always evolving is something called fintech lending, fintech financing. And that's really lenders that will lend against uh, cash flow or assets, but they're really, they're on the internet. Great example is probably even Amazon. So people get stuff delivered them to them by Amazon. I don't know about you, but you know, I'm like a daily stock for the Amazon truck, <laughs> right. right? But from a financing perspective, so Amazon, all of the stuff that, you know, particularly like specialty type of stuff, maybe it's cosmetics or what have you, Amazon offers their customers, not consumers, but uh, their businesses that provide product to them, a financing. The fintech type of financing is based typically on your cash flow. It is some of the more expensive financing. It's very much akin to, sometimes people refer to it as merchant cash advance financing. Or again, a little bit based on your historical cash flow, but it's really predicated upon what does that lender believe your future cash flow is going to look like and be able to, quite honestly, project that future cash flow. It is some of the most expensive financing out there. And typically the challenge with fintech financing and merchant cash advance financing, it's a very short-term financing, in many cases, to a a long-term need. And so I always caution companies who are using merchant cash advance or fintech financing. Uh, It is expensive, and so I always caution them to look for other options before going down that path. Uh, And sometimes it it might be the only path available uh, based on a business's particular situation. As you heard, Bennett Brown outlines a number of important alternatives to traditional funding. My biggest takeaway is that there are multiple options out there to get the funds you need, so you should not give up if a bank denies your loan request. Thanks to Bennett, we now have a better outline of what those options may be, such as loans on accounts receivable, equipment financing, and purchase order financing, to name a few. It's crucial to keep in mind that different types of financing will come with different costs. So laying out your options and finding the source of alternative funding that best suits your company is key. Take the time to do your research and you'll find something that works for you. In our next episode, we'll be back with Bennett to continue the discussion of how you can determine what source of alternative funding is right for you. Thank you for joining us on our funding quest. We'll see you next time.